Welcome to Tone Benders, a sound designer's podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, is Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. Good to talk to you. Back together again, despite <laughs> our uh, our baseball problems, I guess. You're going to bring it up, eh? <laughs> Joining us today is also Giuseppe Caiazzo. Giuseppe composes as SM Ertz and has just released an album entitled Modus and Rebus on Bandcamp. He's got some really innovative sound design and composition stuff we're going to talk about it's really cool. He's based out in Naples in the south of Italy. Hey Giuseppe, how you doing? Hello guys, I'm going well. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. I'm glad you, you reached out to me and, and just kind of shared some of your stuff because there are a fair amount of people that do reach out to me for various things, but very rarely do I see stuff that's just as, as interesting and, and innovative as what you showed me, so I can't wait to dive into it. Oh, well, uh, let's say that I started doing this kind of stuff just almost as an accident, because uh, for a long time I've been doing music just by, you know, at a hip-hop way, just sampling old records, etc., and then I decided to do something more uh, innovative with sampling, uh, recording all the sounds around me, and try to translate that into something musical, and this... Uh, and Mothersley Rebus is the result of this experiment, let's say. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about kind of what your background is and how you got started. Oh, well, as I was mentioning, uh, I am not a formal musical education. I mean, that I never studied uh, music or uh, audio. Let's say that in my, as a job, I'm a researcher in mechanical engineering. And so let's say that it's not that, <laughs> that close to, to, to making music, but also being passionate about electronic music. And uh, as I said, I started doing beats, sampling uh, old records, jazz records, funk records, etc. And uh, the more I did it, the more I was into micro-sampling. So I was more into sampling tiny slices of sounds rather than entire grooves and then recombine them in a new musical context. And then I decided to challenge myself a little bit and started to use samples uh, as a sample music that is uh, sounds that are not musical per se. And this is a quite recent, I think, that I've worked on this new approach in the, the last two years, more or less, when I've discovered more advanced sound. And I just was going around uh, sampling everything from uh, random voices to, to whatever. And then I was in this, from this perspective, how I could do to, to translate, to transform all this material in something that I could use in my music. And it was actually just done with a couple of softwares, mainly with uh, contact and uh, synth by nothing instruments. And so definitely... Uh, having limitation is something that uh, that fuels the creativity. Well, let's let people in a little bit on on what it is that you and I have already heard, which is which is a lot of your work. One of the first things that you sent me was a link to a cigarette synth that you did. Can you tell me just kind of the process of what that was and just kind of describe that entire synth? Because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. let's say that it's been a kind of an accident because uh, like the most of my sound, I start to experiment doing things and uh, sometimes I end up with something cool. Other times it's a total crap, fortunately. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> uh, cigarette yeah. synth has been a good experiment. Well, I, it's been an accident because I was just smoking and I was just sampling uh, uh, me dropping the cigarette inside the, the plastic coffee cup. And I heard that I've been really lucky because uh, usually this kind of sound is just kind of a hiss, just a, uh, some kind of white noise. But in this case, I had there was this kind of a curious reverb of the, of the cigarette inside the, the cup, the, the cup, sorry. 
And then I process it with uh, Post Stretch, which is a software that I use, uh, that I recurrently use when I that is uh, specifically designed for doing extreme time stretch. It's a it's a gold mine because it's freeware. You can download it uh, for free on the web, and uh, you can also take a sound and uh, make it last for uh, weeks or even years. And so I've just uh, stretched down the the sample. This is the original sample. I, can, I don't know if you, if you can you hear it. This one, and this is the. Play, play, play it for us one more time. Just play it clear so we can hear it. It's this one. Yep. And I think this is the organ electronic pad that I created. This one. Just playing random. interesting thing is that the original sample has a note. That curious rever reverb that I, that I was mentioning before, uh, it happened that it's uh, C2. The note is C2. So I've stretched it down, I've imported the, uh, the stretched sample in contact, and then I have pitched, let's say, the sample along the virtual keyboard. And so, and then I have worked with contact with some kind of uh, low-pass filter, with the envelopes, etc. Of course, contact is a, a really flexible and versatile instrument that end up with... Uh, with this preset that resembles uh, something in between uh, a Fender Rhodes on the higher notes and uh, an organ on the lower ones. And uh, I, I use it massively in uh, Motus Rebus because uh, I got in love with this sound. It's, as, a, as often happens when you, when you like, when you particularly like a sound, you tend to use it everywhere. But I tried, <laughs> I tried to, to change it a little bit on the on the different tracks. In some one, in some tracks, it's more a long pad. In other one, is a more kind of a carry on to play melodies, etc. So broadly, the process was you took the sample and you stretched it using Paul stretch, and then you identified the note that it, was it already on a note, or did you force it to a note? It was uh, C two. The original note was uh, probably this one. This, uh, yeah, no, no, the the, the, the other off tape. Yeah, this one. Wait, just me turn up the volume. Yeah, it's this one. And so once that you can identify the the key which is very uh, easy to do in contact because you have a reference tone that you can switch on all the notes and so by ear you can do further adjusting of the pitch and once that you can find the the right note then you have uh, then you have an instrument that you can play nice yeah so tell me about one of your other instruments. The Glasscape was very interesting to me also. Oh yeah, the, the Glasscape has been created with uh, granular synthesis performed in uh, in absinthe. Absinthe usually is, is, of course, everyone knows, but Absinthe has a really powerful, uh, uh, let's say, uh, wave-based synthesizer. I mean, you can combine all the waves, square waves, same waves, etc. But I tend to use it more uh, as a sampler because it has this um, nice feature that you can both use it as a, a sampler like in contact, but you can also use it as a granular resynthesizer, let's say, which you can control uh, 
many important parameters such as the dimension of the grain, the, the random frequency, and of course, uh, absinthe has a way more uh, flexible envelope. So I just sampled this uh, uh, noise of uh, this sound, sorry, of uh, glasses, and at the same time I identified the note, and I did the more or less the same thing that I did in contact, but uh, working on uh, on the grain size and all the parameters that I was mentioning. So this is the the final result. I've been lucky because the uh, let's say the um, this grainy sound is already belongs to the original sample of the of the glasses, but is uh, furtherly highlighted is uh, yeah is highlighted by the by the process itself by the grain resin. Let's say that of course the resistance introduces some artifacts on the sounds, but I try to use them as a, a creative element. And uh, in the specific case of this sound, I also worked on the on the wideness of the sound. I've doubled. Uh, the same sample on the second oscillator of the tree of absinthe, and then I worked a little bit on the face of the, of the two sounds in order to recreate uh, an immersive soundscape. In fact, whatever thing I play, it always sounds good. I'm not a keyboard player, but even if I, <laughs> but even if I play something very simple, it sounds uh, something interesting. So tell us a little bit about the, or I guess play for us before we move on, the original source sample for the Glasscape, just so we can get a sense of where it came from uh, versus where it went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let me open it in Absinthe. Okay. Yeah, we should say that there's videos that you've put together on your YouTube channel of how you made the, well, not how you made them, but the original source and then you playing the final instrument. So if you go to our page for the podcast uh, will have links up for so everyone can go see those videos. Yeah, let's say that uh, this choice of letting the people hear the original sound, what happened before was kind of a pre-promotion for the record because of course I thought that if I was just introducing the record without telling people, hey look, this record has been done in this way, probably you would never, uh, it's difficult to understand what's the, let's say, the process behind. For sure. The original sound of the, of the, of the glass is this one. No, wait, I, I, wait, uh, hertz, yeah, yeah, this is the original sound, this is just me playing with the glasses. Yeah, so you were holding two wine glasses in each hand and kind of letting them bounce against each other while hanging them upside yeah, down. Yeah, 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 I have to say that the original sample was already, was already good, I mean, it's something that probably I could use even without uh, a granular synthesis, but of course, when you create a track, sometimes... Uh, you want to do something specific that is difficult to do when you use the the straightforward sample, let's say. So um, granular synthesis, I'm a big fan, as you probably understood, of granular synthesis because it's really flexible and uh, it allows you to, uh, let's say, create something that seems not anymore recognizable if you compare it to the original one.
that's really cool stuff. So tell us about kind of the process of putting the album together. How, how long did it take? How many of these type of instruments did you build for it? Uh, let's say that uh, it took a long time because uh, I think that has been more or less uh, one year and a half because uh, I was learning and experimenting at the same time because I, I didn't know anything about, let's say, uh, resynthesis or the kind of uh, techniques that I used during the record. So I was studying and uh, applying those techniques in the same way. And so that meant that I had to do a lot of uh, trials and errors uh, before I, I ended up with something, um, with something that I consider interesting. And then of course, of course the record is just five tracks, but trust me that uh, in this period I've composed more or less, I think uh, 30 or 40 tracks, but consider that I am uh, highly self-critical. I have deleted the most of them and I just kept for the record uh, the only ones that I that I liked, and then probably in the future I'd go back again on the old tracks. So, but more or less, yeah, the the, the, the overall making of the records took uh, one year and a half. Yeah. Is building sounds have anything to do with your day job? Is this what you do, or is this just a hobby? Oh well, let's say that uh, this is a curious thing because uh, in my day job uh, I'm a researcher in environmental engineering and acoustics, and sometimes it happened that uh, I had to record something. For example, I did a. Uh, a job for the Neapolitan Aqueduct where I had to record with a contact microphone the sound of the water flowing inside the pipes. And it was something that had nothing to do with music, it's just for detecting the leakage inside the pipes, etc. But of course I also used them uh, in my musical activity for making music. So let's say that uh, although my day job and my interest in music uh, are completely different, but they allow me to have a dual perspective of the same thing because uh, uh, when you when you work with uh, with wave, with waves with uh, vibration, let's say with uh, the vibrational status of a system of a mechanical system, it's something that has a, a lot to do with sound, even if apparently it has nothing to do. So it shaped my mind to, I could say, a more scientific approach to what I do, not just trying and see what happens, but also being uh, aware of uh, of what I'm doing from the from the technological from the scientific perspective, let's say. You, you mentioned earlier that you had composed a, a number of tracks that didn't end up making the record. Yeah. And I find that to be an important part of a lot of creative processes is giving yourself latitude to build a whole bunch of stuff. And then on the back end of it, applying your own aesthetic and your own taste to kind of call what you've built and just siphon it down to the things that are good and are interesting. And, um, it's a step that a lot of people don't tend to do. And I think it's very cool that you did it because I listened to your album from front to back on the studio monitors in here. And I just, I just thought it was awesome. I really, really dug it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, let's say that uh, personally, I find that uh, composing the most that I can is the only way to, to find new ideas because uh, sometimes it happened also for tracks of Motus Rebus that uh, I was sitting too much on uh, 30 seconds of music and you play it again, again, and again. And it happens that you are too much inside the music and you cannot, you don't know anymore if you like it, if not, if it's good, if it's not good. So if you want to avoid to, to stuck inside this, uh, this difficult situation, uh, they, uh, in, the, in the producer world, they call it lupitis. That means that you are continuously stuck in the loop <laughs> and you cannot know, and you don't know how to proceed. And so uh, the fact that you produce a lot of stuff probably, yeah, uh, allow me to find uh, unexpected ideas. This is uh, a big fan of... Uh, doing something that you, you would not be expected to do and that can uh, suggest you how to move forward the music, let's say. I really like that idea. I've never thought about it with music, that culling it down, because when I was 
growing up, old man here, I'm going to turn into old man Muirhead here. <laughs> when I was in bands and stuff in high school and college, you had to book a recording studio and we couldn't afford to record more than three or four songs. The culling happened out of necessity. So we had 20 songs, but we could only record the three or four best ones. Yeah. We're now with everybody's home systems. Everyone can record a full album. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean they should be recording a full album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, of course, there are some pros and cons in this, in this uh, let's say, a strong availability of technology, at least in my, uh, in my perspective. I'm optimistic and I say that for me, the fact that anyone can do a full record and can have uh, theoretically an, an infinite number of tracks. So you could do also a track with uh, 1000 layers, okay? For me, it's good because it's a kind of uh, democratization of music. I mean, if you think... Uh, in the 16th century, who knows how many great musicians are born, but they were where they came from, a poor families, and they could not even afford a piano. And so we probably there have been a lot of genius, and we have never heard about them for the fact that they could not afford the instrument. But now that, that we have the instrument, everyone can use it. Of course, there is also the, let's say, the opposite side of uh, the internet that is completely flawed by a lot of music. But personally, I tend to be optimistic to have a, a positive perspective on this topic. For sure. You know, that's a good point to which we can kind of ask you about the equipment that you used. You mentioned the Tascam recorder in contact. Is that just kind of the, the meat of it? Is there anything else that you are really using to kind of build the sounds? Yeah, let's say that uh, all the recording has been done with the Tascam and uh, another microphone that is a Rode, a Rode NT2A, because uh, in Motus in Rebus there are also some bits of jazz improvisation by guest musicians. And uh, so I just invited them in my, in my home studio that technically is just a garage. <laughs> and and I just asked them to to play something. I didn't even. I just asked them, okay, play anything you want, because I want them to be spontaneous as the other sound that I use in the record. And so the roadie has been just for some parts of double bass or sax, uh, violin, etc. And then I have just a couple of controllers and a high MPD thirty two to play the more rhythmical part. Let's say. And this small keyboard, there's a very old keyboard. This is the first keyboard that I ever had. I always, always used it. It's a Roland PC-160A. And uh, so, yeah, that's my, that's my equipment. And which uh, workstation are you recording into? Oh, I use uh, Ableton Live. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's a very kind of stripped-down, basic setup. And to prove the point, it's another set of limitations but when you work within that set of limitations and really dive deep into the specific tool set that you have, you can get so much out of it. Yeah, it doesn't sound limited at all. that uh, apparently, uh, this is just my perspective, uh, the fact that uh, we already have computers and we have the, as I was mentioned before, the opportunity to have a uh, digital workstation, it's already something really strong. I mean that uh, probably I just used uh, the 50% of the, of the capabilities of Ableton Live. Probably there are also tons and tons of stuff that I could do with it. 
But, you know, everything depends on your personal workflow. Someone prefers to work with, uh, for example, analog synthesizers who have a really massive setup. But in my, my personal case, I prefer to, to, if everything is small, let's say, it allows me to, to focus more on what I have to do rather than on discovering the several features of the, of the instruments. Yeah, and I think it allowed you to dive pretty deep into the plugins and into the tools themselves. Sometimes if you're looking at a list of 100 plugins, you don't end up spending a whole lot of time in any one specific one. Yeah, yeah. Being around. Yeah, let's oh. say, uh, you mean the, the plugins that I use for making my music, right? Yeah, well, specifically the fact that you're using the contact suite to break out some granular synthesis in a very kind of deep way, and you're using Paul Stretch and putting it in there and going through the process of programming out an entire new contact instrument just for the purposes of playing it in this. If you had, you know, a bank of 100 other soft synths that you could go to, you may not have gone down this specific creative path. Yeah, probably. I think that um, is not that much anymore on the specific software. I mean that probably there are other tons of software out there that perform granular resynthesis. Uh, the fact that uh, I like to think that it's how you creatively use uh, an instrument rather than the, the instrument itself. Uh, but for some time it happens that I get curious, say I need to, to experiment a new synthesizer, a new toy for making music. But I always end up using uh, always the same things. Right. Well, and you know, the other thing that works in your favor here too is that all the source audio comes from you. It's stuff that you recorded and you sampled. So even though you're using the Native Instruments suite, which is kind of a ubiquitous suite that everyone, well, not everyone, that lots and lots of people have, your music doesn't necessarily sound like a whole bunch of stuff that just came out of contact because you went out and recorded all your source material and hand-tailored all of the individual kind of processes and, and granulizations of, of how it all happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's uh, the real power of this instrument is exactly in the fact that uh, apparently, uh, you know, this is kind of a paradox because when you buy a plugin or a, a virtual synthesizer, it seems that it already has everything you, you need to make music. But if you look a little bit deeper, you understand that the real power of these uh, instruments lays behind, uh, as I say before, the, the, the creative use that you can make with the same instrument. So I think that everything depends on the personal approach, because trust me, that sometimes it happens that for doing this present, I also spent uh, uh, weeks. And I understand that for someone, it can be a little bit tedious or uh, boring to, to spend a lot, a lot of time just to create one present. So... Everything is, uh, is strictly connected with uh, the personal approach, I suppose. So tell us about the album. The name comes from something very specific. Tell us about the naming and just kind of the overall concept of the album. Oh, well, uh, let's say that, uh, as I said, Botus Rebus uh, is a wordplay or an ancient Latin expression from the Latin poet Horatius. And his motto was uh, est modus in rebus, which means that uh, everything that you do in your life should be done in its proper way. So it's a philosophical thing, let's say. And I change it in uh, motus, so changing the D with the T, uh, motus rebus, which means the, the life, the movement inside things that highlights exactly the, my approach to searching music in uh, sources that are uh, not supposed to be musical. It's like being uh, zooming inside the sound, because, for example, when you stretch down a sound of uh, temper, for example, you can uh, hear something that is hidden inside the sound. So it's like uh, taking a peek, taking a photo, and zooming a specific detail, like finding another universe, another world in that specific little tiny part. And this is also something that I wanted to highlight with uh, with the artwork, 
of the record, which is a photo by um, an English uh, an English photographer whose name is uh, Charlotte Sams. He's a marine photographer, and she uh, takes pics of this marine microorganism. And that one is uh, a microorganism that we would not see it um, with our eyes, but it's uh, zoomed and uh, it reveals uh, a completely different world. So it's the let's say the the visual the visual version of what I, what I've tried to express with the music. Yeah, that's really great stuff. Well, hey, Giuseppe, I really appreciate you uh, you reaching out to me. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast and spelling out the process. I think it's a really cool album. I'll put a link to it in the um, in the website. And uh, continued success, man. It's really cool stuff. Keep doing it. Thank you. We definitely encourage everyone to go out there and listen to that album and maybe uh, throw a couple bucks his way when you buy it from Bandcamp. Okay, thank you, guys. Cool. And just one other thing I'd like to uh, float out there. I just did an interview with Creative Field Recording, Paul Virostek, who is... Uh, a guest on our show earlier so he's doing a whole month of almost every day releasing uh different field recordists and their gear and a story of something they've recorded and mine went up on friday but because when this comes out it won't be friday but anyway look up tim muirhead on that tim's just went up mine's going up at some point this month also oh you're doing one too renee yeah Woohoo! we're all over that we're all over it <laughs> go check out creativefieldrecording.com also and check out what paul's been doing because he's been putting up just tons and tons of great stuff lately Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Giuseppe for jumping on with us today and talking about his album. It's really cool. Thanks to Stacey Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado. Tim is at Azimuth Audio. You can visit Giuseppe on YouTube at Silence Other Sounds and silenceandothersounds.bandcamp.com. We'll put links to those in the show notes as well. You can follow the show at The Tonebenders on Twitter. Go to tonebenderspodcast.com to leave a comment. Click on that Amazon and the B&H link if you want to go buy something from Amazon and B&H, and that helps keep us up and running, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Tone Vendors. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneVendorsPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonevendorspodcast.com.